Welcome to The Drop 5. I'm Brendan Saltvig. Today's subject is, why do we worship? Worship is a response to the character and person of God. Worship is actually an English word that comes from the word worth-ship. Understanding the true value and living in accordance with what we have. It starts rationally and thinking deeply about these theological truths and about what the gospel is until it dawns on you the value and the beauty of who Jesus is and what he has done. It's an act that ascribes ultimate value to God, who changes your life so much so that you have to radically reorient your life in obedience to him. That's worship. Now, what is not worship? Now, worship's not just simply singing and dancing and music. It can be those things. But rather, it's about what Jesus says is embodying spirit and truth. And the Bible warns us we should not flatter ourselves. If you go to places of worship merely to hear music and because it sounds nice or it makes you feel good, you're not worshiping God. Worship is not about you getting something, but rather giving God something which he is rightly owed. And this is the thing the Bible says is everybody worships. Everyone is worshiping something. And it's a lot of mistake. It's a, it's a huge mistake a lot of Christians make is that we see two categories of people. People that worship and that people that don't. And if you don't believe me, have you ever been to a Seahawks game? That's worship. Adoration and praise for our team when they score a touchdown, they go crazy. Or you get excited or giddy when your political party wins because if they win, your life will be better. And you cheer, you're, ah, my political party won. Or when they lose, you say you got to move out of the country because everything's going to get better. That's worship. And everyone worships. Everyone ascribes ultimate value to something. That's the point. And this is how you get idolatry. Idolatry gets in the way of worship. What is an idol? An idol is something that, other than Jesus Christ, is your life. And many of us say, oh, I trust Jesus and nothing else. But what is your heart trusting in? If you desire power more than Jesus and fame, you will worship it. If you desire love and a love interest more than Jesus, you will worship that above Jesus. Or your spouse or your kids. Idols are not just wood carvings or your Buddha statue in your bathroom. It's good things usually that turn into God things. And when thinking about idols, they'll never forgive us if we let them down, and they'll never satisfy us even if we get it. It will enslave us to constantly perform and meet a standard. Even when we are Christians, we can fall into this trap of idolatry, even after being born again. The simple point is, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that's really your God. Now, do you ever hear yourself say, if I'm married, all my problems will be fixed, or if I have a girlfriend, or I have a significant love interest, or if I had enough money, then I'll be okay, then I'll be somebody. For I was recognized, or I was famous, or I was loved, then I'll know, and everybody will know, my worth, my value. And if you're imagining that with more fascination and intensity than you are with God, it's an idol. Or maybe we worship ourselves. Maybe we don't need a higher power, or I can simply not go to church, and I can just, it's just me and Jesus. And in fact, what you're doing is you are creating an idol out of yourself. The atheist Ernest Beckert, an atheist, mind you, said it best. Redemption can only come from outside of the individual and beyond our conceptualization of the ultimate source of things, the perfection of creation. That's the quote. We cannot love ourselves we, our soul longs to be fully known and fully loved outside of ourselves. And when our idols let us down, we spiral into a cycle of disappointment, depression, self-hatred. This too is still idolatry because you're focusing on yourself and what a failure you are, and it's all about you. The only difference is, is you're saying you're not redeemable. 
All these things can get in the way of worship. It's a form, really, of atheism. Because what you're in fact saying is, I don't believe the things you're saying about me, God, are in fact true. What's the difference between that and atheism? Not much. And here's the amazing thing about the biblical God, is if you brought that worship, if you brought those thoughts of, self, of self-doubt, ooh, excuse me, self-hatred and all your fears or whatever it is, he considers that great worship if you bring it to him. This is reflected in Psalm 88. It's pretty remarkable. You've taken away all my companions and my loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. And that's how the psalm ends. It starts off dark and it ends even darker. It doesn't even end on a high note. In fact, what David's actually getting at, what he's actually saying is, darkness is a better friend than you, God. And the kind of moralism that we create in our minds that we project onto the God of the Bible would find this prayer utterly ridiculous and unacceptable. And religious people would find this repugnant and rightly so scandalous. And yet, the God of the Bible looks at that prayer and says, hey, that's a pretty good prayer. Let's put that in the Bible. Why? Because the God of the Bible resonates and sympathizes with our pain and our sorrows. He delights in us when we worship to Him, no matter what the quality of worship is. Because it's not the intensity of our worship that saves us, but rather it's the object that we worship that saves us. It's not my faith, but it's His faith. It's not my love, but it's His love. And it's not my death, but it's His death. Jesus Christ experienced darkness as His only friend, so in darkness you can still know Jesus is your friend. No other God, no other idol, Nothing in creation can provide that level of intimacy, that level of love that the human heart desperately looks for in life. And you will never find it as long as it's not in the arms of Christ. And it's so incredible because every idol demands performance and that you put on a facade of worship and put on the mask of religiosity and prove yourself and obey so you're accepted. And yet the gospel says, come to me, all of your burdens. And in me, in Jesus, you will find rest. The way to overcome pain and suffering in this world and with joy is embracing this ancient truth. I may not fully understand pain and suffering, but I want to worship Jesus and more than I want to understand. His perfect obedience was traded in our place, and it doesn't matter who you are, the prostitute, the pastor, the average Joe, the curtain separating the presence of God and the people was ripped from top to bottom. The barrier between you and God is gone. You can go to him and worship him. And when we apply the gospel to worship, it saves us from the crushing burden of self-salvation through effort and performance. And this could be your today, your day to put your trust in Jesus and enter this rest, the rest from performance and striving. And this is available through the highs and the lows. And that, my friends, is worship.